Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugar cane, Three Roll is cane to glass. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge time. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you're looking for yet another worry to keep you up at night, consider this. Pretty much every category of cyber attack increased in 2021. And we're not talking small-scale numbers either. Ransomware, encrypted threats, and crypto-jacking attacks all more than doubled in this country last year to more than one billion attacks, from small-scale home PC invasions to the kind of attacks that threaten our critical industries and infrastructure. And the trend line isn't going away anytime soon. Then there's that brutal war Russia is waging on Ukraine. Dare we even go there? With me today to discuss all this is Jeff Moulton, president and CEO of the Stevenson Stellar Corporation, a not-for-profit applied research firm focused on cybersecurity for its customers, most of whom are federal agencies. Jeff is a return guest on this show. You may remember our visit with him in 2021 when he was then also leading the LSU Stevenson National Center for Security Research and Training. But at the beginning of 2022, Jeff left that position to focus his efforts solely on the Stevenson and Stellar Corporation, which is such a fascinating story and has so many threads to unravel, we wanted to have him back. Jeff is a native of Pennsylvania who had a 24-year career in the Air Force where he held a diverse array of technical and leadership positions around the world. He then went on to leadership positions in technical and security-related organizations, including Concurrent Technologies Corporation, the U.S. Naval Surface Warfare Center, and the Georgia Tech Research Institute before coming to Louisiana nearly a decade ago. And Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch. And, and we were talking before the show started, I mean, a little bit about how you got into this because, you know, you were in the Air Force for 24 years, back really before there was even an internet, much less such a thing as cybersecurity. Absolutely. Those were the uh, good old days. <laughs> right. I like to tell people now that a paperless world is like a paperless bathroom. <laughs> Just doesn't work all the time, right? So right. you need to have, you know, backup plans and alternatives for, for when the, you know, technology disappoints you. Sure. Uh, try to buy a driver's license or get a driver's license now when the Internet's down. So, Can't do it. So if you started, you know, back then with the Air Force, how did you become an expert in cybersecurity? I mean, did you learn as, as this whole industry was growing out? Yeah, the School of Hard Knocks teaches a lot of valuable lessons. Uh, we uh, we didn't have the internet back then. We had a big Sperry Univac 1050 computer with a bunch of trays of cards that we used to code with, run them through the computer, and then we'd hope to see if the results came out something that looked like normal. Uh, so we uh, we had a backup every single Friday. We'd do it the manual way. We didn't wow. trust the systems. Uh, and uh, through that evolution, uh, and the internet started to grow and become more used for e-commerce is really what drove it. Industry drove it, not the military. Sure. Uh, so that was really the, the turning point, and I was responsible for all the communications that Special Forces used in the Air Force. 
uh, and they wanted to leverage the power of the Internet. So in order to do that, they had to secure it. Back then it was called information assurance. Uh, now they call it cyber. Everything's called cyber now. So it's just one generic term for making, you know, doing due diligence and making sure that your network connectivity and all the devices that touch that network are secure. And, and like I said, you, you've learned this as, as it has been developed. Do you uh, just pick it up as you go? Is there, does <laughs> yeah. the military train you? Were you helping them develop some of these systems? And we, we did indeed. Uh, I would argue the military took the internet to the next level. Uh, the intelligence community has leveraged it in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Uh, and we do a lot of that. The School of Hard Knocks is a great teacher. Uh, the shelf life of cyber skills is about two clicks. Wow. So, uh, you know, you need to stay on your game all the time. You know, that's right, one right, of the right. problems we have right now with our cyber uh, you know, skills and the st uh, shortage of the talent out there. It's a very robust, ever-changing, dynamic environment that you have to stay on top of. Mm -hmm. so, so at the moment, you're really focused on the Stevenson Stellar Corporation, presumably working in space, or is it only in space? Tell us what exactly you're doing yeah, in we, space we to are, keep our world safe. We are not rocket scientists, but we employ rocket scientists. Uh, so there's three basic elements of all things in space, right? And a day without space would be a really bad day on Earth, by the way. Yeah. I'd bet you a dollar you don't have a map in your car right now. I do not. So if your GPS goes down, how are you going to get from point A to point B if you're That's never right. there? So, I mean, little things like that go, you know, your clocks don't work anymore. The synchronization of your devices is going to be all fouled up. Uh, there's lots of things that a day without space would cause real havoc here on the planet. Uh, so we have uh, kind of focused our efforts now to defending those assets. And there's basically three pieces to that pie. You've got the satellites themselves. Mm -hmm. You've got the base stations on Earth that tell the satellites what and how to do it. And then the data link that connects us to. Uh, and we work on all three of those dynamics. Uh, and we mostly work on the defensive side of the coin. But, uh, of course, every coin has two sides. So there's other things that we can do as well. And when you think about it, when you put it like that, like, like you'd lose your GPS, you'd lose access to just about everything. It's not just the ATMs that would go down, but it's everything. That's very terrifying. That is why we're employed. <laughs> and so your clients are mostly the federal government, the Defense Department? Yeah, or we work what, with the Department NASA? of Defense, I mean, we work with the, uh, the intelligence community, we work with mm -hmm. the uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, folks like that, NOAA. Uh, Department of Commerce, uh, all the, the normal players that you would think to have a relevant uh, stake in the uh, the cyber game or the information traversing the internet game. Uh, there's not too many departments that I know of that are, are off the grid, if you will, so yeah. to speak. Uh, everyone uses the internet for a multitude of reasons, and uh, you know, in the federal sector, that becomes very sensitive. And and I know there are a lot of IT companies and firms and experts out there that are working to protect cybersecurity or that a a bank or a hospital can call if they're hacked. But I mean, what you're doing is seriously at the next level, right? I, like, I would say we, uh, we take cybersecurity to the next level. That's a true statement. So what are you doing in Baton Rouge? Well, there's lots of opportunities here. One of the things that I was asked to do earlier on, back in uh, about eight years ago, uh, Bobby Jindal saw me speak uh, out in California and asked to uh, come down here and consider building a cyber capability at LSU, very similar to what we did at GTRI. Okay. Uh, and uh, I initially said no, and then he sweetened the deal, so we, uh, here I am, mm -hmm. uh, eight years later. Uh, really, it's been a really fun ride. There's lots of opportunities down here. This state has almost every single element of the 16 critical infrastructure sectors in one state, 4.3 million, whatever they are population-wise, so there's a lot of opportunity to network. And, you know, I know the governor personally. He'll call me personally. I know the folks at GOSEP personally. They call me. Uh, so we, you know, it's kind of a tight-knit family here. You won't have that in, let's say, Manhattan, Atlanta, you know, those mm -hmm. kind of places, right? So, 
So are there a lot of competitors of yours around the country that are also doing this? I mean, how big is it when you get to your level? Say? Yeah, when I, you know, everyone says they do cyber. That's a defense contractor. There are some do better than others. Uh, we do uh, a lot of work at the classification level that we can't go into much here. Uh, that said, uh, you know, so we are a nonprofit. I like to say we're not for loss either. I still have to bank payroll and so forth, and the cyber people and employees are pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the demand is really high. The supply is really low. Uh, and to find someone that can actually do versus just say cyber uh, with a clearance uh, to work on, in, you know, God knows if, if the application's in space, it's even a smaller player pool. Wow. Uh, so I'm competing with the likes of Elon Musk and Richard Bronson and United, or the Lockheed Martins and Boeings of the world. Wow. Uh, so bringing that kind of talent to Baton Rouge is somewhat challenging, <laughs> but uh, we're doing pretty well at it. And, and are they based here or can they work from, you know, their home office in San Jose or Austin or something. Yeah, you know, it's a virtual world right now. And since the, uh, the uh, COVID tragedy, you know, there, there's a lot more remote work. And that's a whole topic of cybersecurity challenges in and of itself. Uh, but uh, for the most part, the, a lot of our work can be done um, in non-classified spaces. So you can work from home. Mm-hmm. Some things do uh, work better remotely than and in, you know, physical presence in a space, but if it's like a classified project, we have to work at customer sites, so we don't have any option there. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of cross-pollinization that occurs uh, when you get people together in an office, like, you know, water cooler talk. Sure. And that, that really helps when you're, uh, you know, cyber is such a dynamic problem space. You have a piece of information, I have a piece of information, she has a piece of information. If you put that together, that becomes meaningful. Yeah. Independently, working from home, you don't always get that Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. So I know you can't go into like too much detail, but can you get a little bit granular about like what y'all really do? I mean, y'all develop the software or the hardware that's up in space to detect the kind of threats that would maybe bring down the power grid, for yeah, instance, so, or something so, like that. Well, we're a nonprofit, so we're not allowed to compete with industry when it comes to production. Now that okay, said, you're not I, allowed to compete with industry when it comes to production. That right. so you can't so make anything. I, well, I can make prototypes, and I can prove a concept, right? A prototype, and I, that's really where I'm limited. I can't mm-hmm. go beyond a prototype stage. Now, a prototype might be 10, 15 different devices, but prototypes were actually were, were held to by law. The IRS won't let us go past that, and for a reason, because we are a nonprofit. We don't pay federal taxes, so therefore we shouldn't be competing with industry. That said, we do build a lot of prototypes. Uh, And then we take the tech data package or the blueprint that we use to solve the problem, turn that back over to the government customer, and from there, they take that and go out with an RFP to industry to actually go purchase that solution. Gotcha. So that's where we come in. That's why we're a nonprofit. That's where the fun is. We like to solve tough problems. And that's why you set it up that way. You intentionally want it to be a nonprofit because that would be the advantage. That's correct. So we kind of sit between government and industry, right? Industry is going to sell you things and they're going to try to maximize their profit and put the least amount of effort into it so they can, you know, make their shareholders (laughs) happy. Sure. Not to say that they do shoddy work. It's just that's the way the for-profit world works. We Mm -hmm. try to solve the problem regardless. We're vendor agnostic. We don't, you know, choose a, a product just because we're partnered with, let's see, Splunk or you know some other company, uh, we will try to say okay if you need data analytics on this particular platform at this particular speed and you have X dollars to pay for it, what should we be using? So we'll go out and look like at Consumer Reports and come okay maybe it is Splunk, maybe it's not, maybe it's some other company, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll take that and put that into the solution and give that back to the government. So you don't always have to have a Cadillac. Sometimes a Volkswagen will still get you there. 
Interesting. Right, so, yeah. But it seems like you would still need to generate a lot of revenues just to attract the kind of talent it takes to do this kind of work. Yeah, that's yeah. why I have no hair left. <laughs> so, so we as just lay people out here, and we, you know, we hear about cyber threats, as I mentioned in the in the introduction. They're going up, and we know we're vulnerable. What are our biggest vulnerabilities? What keeps you up at night? Well. For me, it's job security. So <laughs> if, we, yeah. if we solve this puzzle, then I'm probably going to be out of work, uh -oh. which I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, what really keeps me up awake at night is, is the naivety of people, right? People just have this inherent um, desire to, you know, put convenience over security, right? So for the sake of convenience, they're willing to give up a lot of security, and that scares me really badly, especially for people that are too naive or too young to understand that. Mm -hmm. So children are really way, I don't remember the statistic, but it's like 35% more likely to be attacked in a, from a personal identity theft perspective than adults are, mm -hmm. right? Because they're into things that they probably shouldn't be and parents aren't watching them closely enough. And next thing you know, stuff happens, right? right? And it's unfortunate because then they get about a 15-year head start. And usually by the time that you know, they're going to college for the first time, and I've had many people here at LSU and their parents come to me and say, what happened? You know, they went to get a credit card or they went to get an apartment. They find out that their, you know, Johnny or Susie's, mm. you know, security has been compromised, and now you have a, a you know, a bad credit. Oh. So, you know, 15-year head start, pretty hard to undo. So I tell people all the time, I said, as soon as that, you know, child gets a Social Security number, freeze that credit. It's hmm. so easy to do, and it stays frozen until they defrost it, right? So basically, write a little letter, takes two sentences to Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Interesting. And problem solved. It goes a long way in keeping you safe. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Jeff Moulton of the Stevenson Stellar Corporation. Now, I know last time we talked about the Internet of Things and all of those smart devices we have in our homes that are supposedly making our life easier. That's also increasing our, our risk, right? Absolutely, especially with the advocacy or the evolution of 5G. 5G is really scary because it's going to have, you know, it's going to exponentially compound that problem. Is it here? It is. I mean, I keep hearing about degree. it. I know they're putting up the little towers, annoying people everywhere, neighborhood fights. But, <laughs> yeah. like, do we actually have 5G yet? Uh, in theory, no. Uh, we have uh, the beginnings of the 5G, right? Mm -hmm. So there's parts of the elements. You know, the, the, all the ingredients aren't in a gumbo yet, but it's getting close. Mm -hmm. uh, there are uh, devices now being manufactured in China, of course. It you know, Huawei, for example, make things problematic for us, and we can't use those devices. But that said... Uh, we are getting very close, and it will be here soon. So we're working very closely with that. I'm working with the Air Force and some other folks uh, in San Antonio and here in Baton Rouge and up in Shreveport. So uh, explain to us why why having these smart devices, I mean, I could guess, but I mean, technically, what is it? Do they get inside of them? Hackers are just able to access you through your refrigerator, your alarm clock, or whatever, that much easier? Sure. Whatever. So uh, just let me say this right up front. Smart devices are dumb. You know, I, if I had my way and I was king for the day, I'd throw them all away. Okay. Right. I don't value convenience that close or that much to, to give up my security. But that said, it's really the, it just uh, becomes an attack. Every, every single thing on your network, including your phone, now become a sensor or become an attack vector, which means it's one way of getting into where your personal goods are. Right. So right now, uh, anything that's connected to the Internet can be hacked. It's just a matter of time, patience and money. Right. So. For that, you know, I'm really worried about this new evolution of electronic uh, or electric cars. You know, we have not fought this all the way through. So we just, I just literally read yesterday about a, uh, a um, one of the charging stations up in New York City being hacked. So you go to plug in your Tesla, 
Guess what? Hey, you just gave up all your information that was tethered to your Tesla. Wow. Most people are actually downloading their contacts and so forth into their cars from their phones, which is problematic in and of itself. And then they uh -huh. take that and they plug that into a, you know, a compromised charging station. And guess what? All your data just went to somebody else. Unbelievable. Happens every day. Really? I can't tell you how many rental cars I take. And I, I travel every week of my life. The uh, rental cars are notorious for this because people don't turn their Bluetooth off on their cell phone. So as soon as you get into a rental car that starts connecting to that car, mm -hmm. that car just absorbs and sucks down all that data. I have seen thousands of contacts, thousands of text messages, thousands of different things in phones in rental cars across the country. And let me back up for a minute because I guess I just can't get inside the mind of a hacker. I, I can see where they might want to steal somebody's bank account, but like... Why would they want my 2,000 or 5,000 contacts? How would, how would they even use that? I mean, I've got babysitters that are 10 years old in there. Sure. I don't even know who they are. What would they do with that number? It's not like I've got bank account numbers written next to their names or something. Well, a lot of people do. Not necessarily next to their names, but they have their personal identifiable you know, information in their career. I'll tell you right now, on your cell phone, I don't have my phone here in front of me, but there is a way to be able to a little bit more secure, and I would argue Apple's probably better than most, but still not perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you start loading that up into your car, it doesn't really matter if you do or not, because it's there for everybody to see, especially if you leave it in a rental car. Uh, but, you know, the motivations behind any hacker is, you know, kind of questionable, but most of them are out for profit, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to try to sell that or exploit that some way in which they can make money. Okay. Uh, and you know, one of the things we're seeing right now is people are not, and they, you know, people are smart enough now, and I think that the, the threat's widely uh, known and accepted now that, you know, they're trying to protect their banking information and their insurance and that kind of thing, right? But what they forget about is stuff that still has value. For example, I had a friend of mine, one of my employees, that just got his Hilton Honors Points stolen. His Hilton Honors Points, four okay. Point, he had 4.9 million oh, Hilton no. Honors Points. Now, wow. get this. That translates to about $9,300 worth of Amazon gift card. They had already spent it within 30 minutes of getting it. They had already spent Unbelievable. It. That's how fast it has. So there's, you know, there's, again, what's the motivation there? Greed. Money. Sure. You know, money sure. gets something for nothing. So, you know, you said all of our devices, smart devices are dumb, but we're pretty much all to the point where you can't live without a smartphone, at least some sort of smartphone. So what can we do, I mean, at the very least, like, like to protect your phone, say? Because you got to function with some degree of... Sure. Yeah, well. everyone, you know, I would argue you don't necessarily have to have a phone. We live for year, years and <laughs> millennia, thousands of years without having a smartphone, right? right. So, right. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, I'm not going to say go crawl underneath a rock, but I do have a series of things that uh, we'll talk about towards the end of this interview about, you know, what can I do about things, yeah. right? Yeah, so what are some of them? So uh, well, for example, after we pay for this lunch today, mm -hmm. let's assume that the bill came out to $13.01. I would always round it up to 99 cents because I travel all the time, say the tip. So my tip now is like 13, 20%, let's say $5.99. So when it comes out on my bill, it ends in zero, zero. So when I go to reconcile my bill, when I walk, you know, walk down through the 15 pages of my American Express bill every single month, and I see a restaurant charge that doesn't end in zero, zero, it catches my eye. So I know to go to investigate it because I know I do that every single time. I mean, little things like that, that yeah. you don't have to have a PhD in electrical engineering to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, just, I call these cyber hygiene, tech, you know, habits, right? So uh, that's one thing, right? So lowering your exposure where you can. You can't necessarily always be off the grid, right? You need to have your internet connected for different devices and different things for throughout, you know, to support your daily life. But I would argue you probably sleep on the average of seven or eight hours a night. Do you turn your lights out? Mostly. Most, yeah. Mostly, yeah. Do you use your internet? Well, I, I hope. 
I don't know. <laughs> no, when you're sleeping, <laughs> right? I mean, you I'm don't. Sleeping, right? I'm not using it. So why it, is it right? still on? So if you can turn your inter- or your router off, you know. Turn your router off at night. Put it on a timer, just like you do a light. Uh-huh. So it cuts you down 33% of your time, right? So 33% less exposure on the internet to be hacked or problems to go wrong. That's huge. So something very simple. It takes five hours to go to Walmart and get a little timer. Plug your router into it just like you would a light. Mm-hmm. Cuts off 33% of your exposure. What about if you do have a smart refrigerator or, you know, a smart burglar alarm or something? Mm-hmm. Any way to protect against attacks yes. to those kinds and, of and almost every one of these devices will have some sort of you know, two-factor authentication to be mm-hmm. in, uh, enabled. And it, if it can do it, use it. If it can't, go find one that does before you actually buy it because that's becoming really problematic right now. We're hacking it. Our little, we call it the Internet of Things Living Lab over in Roseanne. <coughs> Level Homes and us partnered. They built us a house, and we basically put all kind of smart devices in it. I think there's over 200 devices in there now. And we're learning to hack them. Every single one of them. One of the most easy and probably the most problematic is the security cameras hmm. to include the baby monitor sitting above the nursery. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, it's something that's becoming very, very uh, bad because we can actually make it look like you're not in the house. You see the feed on your phone, so you think you're, you know, you have Nest or whatever, you know, pick your home security system, right? So uh-huh. we actually, you're looking at your phone, you're looking at the picture, and it's like, oh, there's no one in there. Good. Life's good. So we can actually open the secure safe lock. We can make them unsafe. We call it unsafe lock because we can open that lock and you wouldn't know it. it doesn't show up on your phone like we've been in there. And then we can change the camera feed so it looks like, you know, remember the Nicolas Cage movie, whatever it was called? We actually called our exploit Nicolas Cage, right, because we're actually going in there. Change When he was stealing the uh, Constitution, mm-hmm. remember that, in the National Archives building? Right, right, right. It, yeah. uh, his little tech guy outside in the van made it look like he wasn't in there, right? right. We're doing that now with home security systems left and right. Oh, that's awful scary stuff really and then we can erase our footprints when we walk out digitally erase the footprint Mm. so it's really hard to make you know have some sort of criminal prosecution and attribution of who done it you know when that happens and and people probably don't even think about this kind of stuff i guess what is on the minds of a lot of people is say like the war in in ukraine and um you know we've heard a lot about the hacking going on back and forth on both sides right are (laughs) y'all or i guess are y'all working on that kind of stuff well, I can't go into too much about that. We're not necessarily supporting the war in Ukraine. I cannot <laughs> confirm nor deny we have anything to do with it. But there's lots of really interesting new things coming out of that. And it's really, from a uh, from an academic standpoint, I, uh, you know, the geek comes out of me really good when the stuff like this Tell happens. Us, right? Tell us, share there's something so you can, because it is really fascinating, I so, think, to so many people. So one of the, I think, most important lessons learned here, some of the things that we're doing, uh, or what I'm watching, uh, are normal right when it comes to cyber warfare as a predicate to warfare Mm -hmm. uh, or a force multiplier to warfare Mm -hmm. what was really interesting in this particular uh, and it's still going on by the way is the hacktivists the hacktivists yeah hacktivists right so the leveraging of the hacktivists and hacktivists are basically a bunch of people in this case anonymous and others who are actually trying to help the ukrainians out to actually defeat and mitigate some of the russian attacks okay which is really, really interesting. So hacktivists are very driven by a moral code. When you cross that line, which is really Mm -hmm. ill-defined, they really get mad. So they go back out and try to do something. When they see an atrocity, they try to correct the atrocity. So how can you harness that, right? So this is one of the things, again, this is the academic in me coming out. How do I take that and make that a force of good Uh that I can plan on and use in the future? 
Right. Is it even possible? Right. And let's think for an example in a different vernacular, the Cajun Navy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. So mm-hmm. the Cajun Navy kind of started that way, too. Right. They wanted to go out and help. They weren't necessarily part of DHS. They got in FEMA's way mm-hmm. and it became very adversarial. Yeah. Right. So and they figured it out. Right. So I've been use Cajun Navy. Now they got like 10 of those like Cajun gravy and other things. Right. Right. So how would how could could we uh, is it possible to harness that energy of hacktivists in a way that you can count on? That would be really neat. So I think that's one of the real interesting lessons learned in this uh, Ukrainian battle, right? So some of the other things that we've already known, we've known for a long time, and it's a very, very unfortunate. And again, it comes back to our satellite security stuff, right? So they whacked Viasat. Mm-hmm. So the Russians take, took down Viasat, which was really problematic. They were actually targeting small aperture antennas. Uh, and like with most cyber tools and exploits, it becomes very difficult to contain how far it goes, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to target you. I'm going to target you. But I might hit those other people in the back of the room yeah. because the Internet knows no boundaries, right? So in this particular case, when they went and took down the, uh, the Viasat systems, they knocked out about 6,000 wind turbines in Germany. Wow, and a that lot is of, so scary. And a lot of Europe's Internet connection. It had nothing to do with Ukraine. Wow. Right, so right, right, right. tough stuff. You've given us a lot to think about. And certainly... A lot more to worry about than we knew a short while ago, but I'm glad to know that you're keeping us safe and the Stevenson Stellar Corporation is is working. It's a great story right here in Baton Rouge that y'all are helping to make this happen. So, Jeff Moulton, thank you so much for coming back to tell us about your work on Out to Lunch. It's been a pleasure to visit. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. My guest on Out to Lunch today has been Jeff Moulton of the Stevenson Stellar Corporation. We had to edit this show to fit into our time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and learn more about Jeff Moulton and the Stevenson Stellar Corporation by going to our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otz. You can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, 
crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.